Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ian Hamilton. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Barad, who's just raised $66 million for their surgical VR platform. Explain what your project is and what you're going to do with this money. I got my start in video game development and through a set of circumstances actually ended up becoming a practicing orthopedic surgeon. And I saw firsthand uh, a few problems that were facing how we train and assess are healthcare professionals, especially ones that do procedures. The problems are there's too much to learn. So accelerating science and technology is expanding the library procedures we need to know how to do on demand. One day I had to operate on a gorilla, which I was very unprepared for, just to give you a crazy example. Modern surgery is really complicated. So all of these things, like what you're seeing here, like surgical robotics and enabling technologies, minimally invasive surgery, has a much longer learning curve about 10 times longer. And then finally, we lack a way to assess surgical skill right now. And to give you another example, the only time I was really assessed myself, I was asked to play the board game Operation and remove some of the plastic pieces without buzzing, which I did, but I think we could do a lot better. And then the pandemic really accelerated all of these dynamics and created what was an ex existential issue for healthcare. So I was able to combine my backgrounds of video games and healthcare and start OsoVR in October of 2016. And what we've built up to this point at Oso is an anytime, anywhere surgical simulation platform that you can use on off-the-shelf VR hardware, mainly MetaQuest 2, like what we're using now. And you can train on any procedure and get objective assessment. And we've proven in multiple peer-reviewed studies that this technology works, anywhere from improving performance 230 to 300%. And we have some early case data that's shown that we've been able to cut surgical time in half in certain cases. So what this round is about in the $66 million is taking what we've proven out, what we've built, the world's largest VR surgical training library, and scaling it. So scaling it up to every healthcare professional in the world that does procedures. There are about 1.1 million surgeons in the world and about 20 to 30 million healthcare professionals that are doing anything from putting an IV to helping with surgery. And we really want to reach every single one of those with this recent round of funding. Where are you based and how many people work at your company right now before you even start to spend this new funding round? So technically, OsoVR is based in San Francisco, but since day one, that first day in October 2016, we've always been fully remote and VR enabled. And people thought we were crazy back then, but obviously this is uh, more of a thing now. So we've always been and always will be a fully remote company. And as of today, we're about 160 full-time employees and we'll be at 300 by the end of the year. What does validated mean in your documentation? It's a great question. VR is kind of a victim of its own success. It's so cool and so exciting. Some people see that, well, that's all it is. It's a novelty and people just want to use it because it seems really cool. And so whenever you're changing something in healthcare, it's really important to prove that what you're doing works. So that's something we really set out to do. But it's also, it's how it's used that I think is important to understand as well. So I'll talk about the validation that we've done thus far. And I'm not going to do a deep dive in all the studies. We have about like five published peer-reviewed studies right now and multiple that are in review for publication. So I'll just cover a couple of them. So one study was performed at UCLA and compared two groups. One was trained in OsoVR to a set level of proficiency, and then one was trained traditionally. So this is lecture, technique guide, list of steps, and you were given as much time as you needed until you felt confident. Then those groups came into a room and they did a physical version of the procedure. I'm doing this because there's a lot of hammering in orthopedics of a shin bone fracture fixation surgery. And then a blinded observer who didn't know what training each participant had done rated their performance on a scale of 
one to five in a few different categories. What they found in that study is that the performance of the OSO group outperformed the traditional group by about 230%. And honestly, as a surgeon, it's more than I expected. I knew this would work, but I didn't know it would work that well. That was published in the journal Surgical Education a couple of years ago. The next study was published in a journal called CORE, and this was performed at the University of Illinois, Chicago. And this was really interesting. This looked at the ability to perform a procedure without needing supervision. Sometimes you're doing a surgery, someone needs to jump in and be like, oh, well, let me do that for you. Let me take those instruments and I'll help you out. So what they did is they took two groups. One group was trained traditionally, and about 25% of that group could complete a procedure without someone needing to jump in to fix things. When using OsoVR, the percentage went up to 78%. So about 306% improvement in the ability to complete a procedure without needing supervision. These are all really big numbers and really exciting, but it's hard to wrap your head around, like, what does that mean for you, for your family, for me? So this one case study, I think it paints a picture of the potential of this technology. A fully trained joint replacement surgeon who's out in practice is trying to transition from a traditional hip replacement, what's called a posterior hip replacement, to a minimally invasive hip replacement, or what's called an anterior hip replacement. The data shows for a fully trained surgeon, you have to do the surgery 50 to 100 times to reach a basic level of proficiency, which can take months or up to a year, depending on your case volume. So the surgeon we're talking to operates on a patient. It's a little challenging. It takes about three hours and 30 minutes. Ideally for this surgery, you want to be between one to two hours for a proficient surgeon. Now, what's really interesting, he then enrolls in an OsoVR virtual curriculum, spends about 91 sessions over the platform over about a three-week period. Each session is about like five to 10 minutes, even has a remote expert, an expert surgeon jump in from another state to help give him some tips and tricks. And then what's really interesting, what's rare about this case study is that surgeon operated on the same patient following his training, just on the other hip. And that side took one hour and 45 minutes, half the time. So I spoke to the surgeon and he said that OsoVR 5X'd his learning curve and he is at case 10 where he thought he would be at case 50. So in my mind, I scale that up, right? We talked about there are 1.1 million surgeons around the world and 310 million surgeries performed annually. Just imagine the potential if all of those surgeries were done in half the time or the learning curve was 5X'd or you're improving performance 230 to 300%. This is an improvement in healthcare delivery that is very rarely seen. And that's what's so exciting. And what's wild about the whole thing is we're doing it all with video game technology. And that's what's just feels really exciting and new and, and revolutionary about OsoVR. You said through a confluence of events, you ended up being a doctor. Take a step back there. And how did you go from video games to being a doctor? I've been passionate about video games since before I could remember. And I was really interested in how they were made. And I wanted to make them myself. So I taught myself to code since middle school, managed to get a internship at Activision when I was in high school. And I actually have a game credit with them, but worked on multiple games for Activision. And then I had a run-in with healthcare. Someone in my family became very ill. They're doing fine now, but it was a wake-up call for me personally. And I just started wondering, maybe there's a way to use software and technology, not for entertainment, but to help people. So I ended up changing my major from computer science to biomedical engineering, which I studied at Cal. With this idea in my head, I really wanted to invent healthcare technology, but I didn't know how to get started with invention. So I was asking around for advice, and I talked to a now mentor of mine, and he told me something that sticks with me to this day. He said, Justin, if you want to invent something, you need to understand the problem you're trying to solve first. 
And he thought a great way to understand medical problems was to be a doctor. So I took his advice very literally, and I went to med school at UCLA, and then I stayed there to do my orthopedic surgery training. And it's really there that I started experiencing this problem firsthand, while at the same time, I became involved with virtual reality very early because of my gaming background and saw it as an incredible solution to what I saw was the most pressing challenge we face in healthcare today. How does this actually roll out globally? Most areas benefit from this technology because you're dealing with one of two situations. One is you're dealing with an area that lacks a lot of infrastructure or access to training resources where this is a huge boon. There are some countries that really find the use of cadavers, so practicing on donated bodies, to be uh, a bit taboo. So this is an incredibly helpful technology. Or maybe they lack certain infrastructure like roads and ability to transport certain things where it's just a lot easier to practice on a $300 headset. On the flip side, you have places that do have these things, but the technology burden is much higher. So they're often more interested in robotics and navigation and minimally invasive surgery, which we talked about before, is so much harder to learn, especially when you need access to very expensive equipment that's difficult to ship. So in these slightly more modernized areas with a lot of infrastructure, the focus is really on training in robotics and advanced technology. So I'm really seeing across the map that the use cases for this technology are really badly needed, just depending on what region you're in. What does the difference of an operation that takes two hours to perform versus 30 minutes mean for the end patient? I'll just say that in general, and this is a broad generalization, that if a surgery is shorter, it typically means it's going better. And that there's a lot of data showing that shorter surgical time is correlated It's not causation, but correlated with better outcomes. It also means that you can take care of more people so that people can get more access to surgery, right? Because you can only do so many surgeries in a day. So surgical time is a really important metric. As an early stage company, trying to sell to hospitals is very hard and very slow. But going directly to healthcare professionals or going through industry, in our case, the medical device industry and pharma, is much, much faster. OsoVR is not really mainly for what I'd call formal training, but rather it's for surgeons and surgical trainees of all skill levels. In fact, our most common user is what I'd call the early career surgeon. This is someone who has just finished their formal training and they're trying to decide starting a practice is like opening a restaurant. You need to decide, okay, what dishes are going to be on the menu and how do I make those dishes? And the vast majority of those things you may never have done in your formal training because once again, there's so much out there. So it's actually a disproportionate educational burden when you're done with your formal training, which is very counterintuitive. That being said, I personally think that to become a healthcare professional, especially a doctor or surgeon, is far too long in today's world. It's not keeping up with other industries where you can have a really successful career in a much shorter time frame. So we're losing out on some of the best and the brightest because they're scared off by uh, the timeline, which is quite lengthy. So you're starting to see on uh, what I'd call the education side that certain medical schools like NYU are actually making medical schools shorter. So it's three years and I'm like, hey, why stop at three? Why not two? And then on the residency side, there are some areas of the world, so like in Canada, they've done some experimentation with with what's called competency-based training. So if you think of the current residency model, which has not changed in 100 years, by the way, you are just in residency for a certain period of time, like five years, seven years. And then when you're done, you're done. And some people might be able to be done sooner, and some people may need to be there for longer, but we have no way to account for that right now. So Canada's done some experimentation with competency-based training. So when you're ready from a technical standpoint, 
you're done and you can get out sooner. Or if you need longer, you can spend more time in the oven. But by and large, what they found is they shaved almost a year off of training with this model. And so if we could shave a year or two off of formal training and get med school shorter, now we're in a situation where we really have a way to improve the supply of healthcare professionals, which is badly needed, both for physicians and nurses right now. Innovating in healthcare is, I would say, wonderfully complicated. It's very challenging, but well worth it. But you really need to deeply understand the problem and the various stakeholders. You talked about, during your own education, actually playing operation as a way of testing your skill. Please explain more on that. I was interviewing for a residency spot, and as part of the interview process, sometimes they like to formally evaluate your 3D spatial skills. So at this particular program, they had people play the board game operation, kind of just see how steady your hand is. When I think back on all of my training in my current practice, that is the one time someone sat me down and did some sort of repeatable assessment that could be compared to others. So there is some assessment taking place, especially in certain specialties like general surgery has been a lot more forward thinking, but it's just a little sliver really and pretty minimal still in its infant state. And we're not really having a way to repeatedly assess procedural specific competency or general surgical skills. So it's an area that there is tremendous interest in. It almost sounds to me like VR is forcing some level of competency testing that didn't exist for surgery. Is that one way of viewing what this process is? Yeah, I wouldn't say forcing. I would say allowing us to. And I would say that the the main party that wants this information is us. Like, we're kind of operating in a black box. It's very hard to understand where you're at or to get feedback or to know that you're ready to perform a certain procedure. And so having this information for ourselves is really the first step. But we have to be very careful here because this is a sensitive area and you could really trip up here. But ways for our peers, hospitals, and eventually patients to understand some level of this information to know that there's some modicum of safety, a lot like aviation, will be a great step forward. But at a minimum, having ourselves know this information is like gold. It's so exciting to know that you're coming into a procedure fully ready to do it. And it's not just you making like a finger in the wind judgment call because you went to a training course a few months back, which is kind of how it works now. And it's nobody loves the current system. Where do you see your company in two years? In two years, maybe we'll be somewhere between 600 to 800 people. Some of our focus specialties include orthopedics and interventional specialties. So interventional cardiology, interventional radiology, vascular surgery. So I'd like us to see 90 to 100% penetration with healthcare professionals in these specialties. And really the ultimate vision, what does mission accomplished look like for OSO? Our mission is to improve outcomes increase the adoption of higher value technologies and techniques and democratize access to surgical education for everyone everywhere. And so my vision for OsoVR, however long that may take, five to 10 years, is that every single procedure that you could possibly do is simulated in this universal simulation platform called Oso, and that it is also a central repository for all proficiency data in healthcare. Once again, so that we can see learning curves improve by 5x, increase in outcomes 200 to 300%. I really want to scale that up to everybody so that every patient has the benefit of our technology and having access to the very best procedures, no matter where you are or who you are. If if I go in for an operation in two or three years time, what's the likelihood that doctor used a VR headset before operating on me? 
if you're going in for what I'd call like a bread and butter procedure, so something like a joint replacement or some commonly performed sports procedure, I, I would say the likelihood would be quite high in a couple of years. I would say 60 to 80% that that healthcare professional has at least done some VR training for the relevant procedure. It's pretty ubiquitous, at least in orthopedics at the moment. And then if you go a few years out, what's interesting is this incoming generation, they're not just excited about this technology, they expect it. They, they think mm -hmm. this is how it's always worked, you know? And so people are often surprised when they're trying this technology. They're like, oh yeah, this is great. And I'm like, oh, this didn't exist a couple of years ago. And they're like, really? There is this expectation that Ideally, it would have always been this way. We're not practicing on people, but we just didn't have any other options. If you look at how we're doing things now, it, just, it feels a little crazy. But now that we have this in place, there's a sensation of this is how it should be. And also this level of excitement that in healthcare, it always feels like technology is passing us by. Like we're not getting the cool, fun thing. We're getting the really awful, clunky thing like EMRs. And what, what I feel in healthcare is that people are coming up to me, surgeons, nurses, mid-level providers, and they're saying, wow, like we, we finally got it. Like this is our time to, to be cool, to be advanced, to be modern and just be part of something that is so unambiguously good. It's hard to describe how good it feels, but everyone has a sense of excitement and relief of, I feel like I've been waiting my whole career for this moment, for this technology to come. So that's kind of the general sentiment. So I imagine things will accelerate in the next few years quite quickly.